Hey. <laughs> How are you guys? Welcome. Well, thanks for having me. It's good to see you guys. Absolutely. Another episode of I, 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 I. I know this is scary, huh? <laughs> Thank you, Lisa, for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me. It's really great to be with you guys. And what an interesting area of conversation you guys are covering. Yeah, I mean, uh, we have such a variety of guests. And to have you on the show and talk about change management, oh, it's a dream come true, literally is. Because there's no AI if we don't adapt an AI. Or there's no AI if we don't pick one up and say, how do we make this used? like for either a community, society, organization, startups, whatever it is. Like if we don't pick up those AIs and put them to the right use cases, um, we're not going to have much. And the way we go about it is through change management, is by a, you know understanding change and having those change implemented in a right sort of way that it works for everybody. So great, great conversation today. I'm so looking forward to it. Um, and we have a short message to read about Talent Ascend. Um, we love Talent Ascend here uh, because it's a um, AI system that helps you with that resume to match with a either uh, employee or, or an employer, right? Or whichever side you're on, you know, you're hiring or you're looking to get hired. Uh, Talent Ascend is for you. So I'm going to read a little blurb about Talent Ascend here. Um, we're excited to introduce you to a revolutionary platform that is changing the game in the recruitment industry. Talent Ascend is utilizing the power of artificial intelligence to improve the recruitment process. AI has the potential to revolutionize recruitment by automating repetitive tasks, improving candidate matching, and reducing bias. By leveraging machine learning algorithms, Talents Ascend can analyze large amount of data to identify the best candidates for a job based on the candidate skills, experience, and qualifications. The, this eliminates the use of the resume, cover letter, and application. Cover letter is my favorite. Thanks for eliminating that one. Um, <laughs> another benefit of AI in recruitment is reducing bias. Talents Ascend can help eliminate bias by removing identifying, info, uh, excuse me, removing identifying information such as name, gender, and age, defining aspects that are typically found on an application. This can help ensure that candidates are evaluated solely on their qualifications and experience, leading to a more diverse and inclusive workforce. Talents Ascend is an excellent example of an. Talents Ascend is an. Excellent example of how AI can be used to improve the recruitment process by leveraging cutting edge technology and a commitment to diversify and inclusion, diversity and inclusion. They're making it easier for job seekers and hiring managers to find the right fit. So as you can tell, I can now read properly. <laughs> I tried my best. <laughs> yeah. And if you like our content, please like and subscribe. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, Thank you. Uh, Lucky, let's get started. Yeah, well, uh, I, I'm interested to know more about what Lisa has as far as her book and how she came to, to be an author and um, the success that it's brought her. And, and, and I'd like to know more about 
you know, change management, because I personally work in that space and I would love to be able to learn more from you. And also now to think about, you know, how do you take those individual tasks or those operations and can you maybe apply AI to it? Maybe we can brainstorm yeah. a little bit and see, maybe, I don't know. Right now we're just having fun. So thank you, Lisa, again. Well, thanks for having me. It's so great to talk with you all. Just to give you a little recap on my background, I started my career in the Reagan administration during the Cold War. I was at the Pentagon. I was 21 years old. My nickname was Tinkerbell because I was five feet tall and weighed 96 pounds, and there were no other women uh, running around the Pentagon at that point in time. But I focused on dual-use technologies. And you know, when I talk to the people about the fact that I've been doing turnarounds in business, government, philanthropy throughout my life, well, there was no bigger turnaround than having a front row seat to the collapse of the Soviet Union and uh, and really understanding uh, the tactics that Ronald Reagan and that administration took um, to really win the Cold War through through strength. Um, I left uh, the White House and the Defense Department when Ronald Reagan uh, left office, and I went out to Silicon Valley working for Intel Corporation. And so I really cut my teeth for 15 years in high technology, moving from business to business to business to consumer. What my book focuses on is four steps that people can take to turn around any organization. And I base those steps on the manufacturing processes that I learned at Intel. It was a very process-driven uh, company under Andy Grove and Gordon Moore and Craig Barrett. And what I focus on are four steps that say, visualize the future. What do you want the world to look like? Don't focus on all the minutia that's in front of you today. Really just clearly get a snapshot in your head as to how you want things to work, what you want it to look like in five, 10 years. And then what you need to do is go break down the past. You're trying to figure out uh, what was the reason the organization was started? What was its purpose? What does the charter say? Uh, understand the details of where things went wrong. You're really trying to dig into understanding what I call the underlying cause of the disease of your organization. And don't make any assumptions because it's never what you think it is. Um, what that allows you to do is develop steps that will move you to your future forward vision. And that means ranking and rating what you're doing, developing decision trees so everybody's on the same page about where you're headed, what steps are going to get you there and what steps aren't. And most importantly, you're letting stuff go. You're really focusing on job one. What's the most important thing you can do to survive and thrive? You're focusing on partnerships that enable you to perhaps stop doing things that aren't your core competency, but instead partner with others and align your interest with others in order to move towards a common vision. Once you've done that, allows you to execute with speed, confidence, agility, and I add heart because human beings are always part of a turnaround process. And you need to understand that people cause the problems, people are impacted by the problems, and ultimately people have to fix the problems. Um, to go back to your question, I see a great potential for AI in really helping people move forward through those steps and getting to where they need to go. Well, there, there you have it, folks. Author and a reader, right? I read and she writes. And um, when you hear her speak, you can tell the difference in quality. <laughs> this is this is just an excellent, excellent point that, you know, there's not the leaders, but even the followers will have to understand because the followers can drive the leader to make that decision, right? So I, I try to work with a lot of the followers as in People that are employed, let's say, in a mid-level or lower level or a rookie that just started recently. I, I talk to many of these mid-level folks and say, like, look, if, if your organization is not going the way you think it should, you have to address that. 
right? And once you do, the, your leader gets a different vision than originally intended because your leaders definitely have a vision. It's just not the one that you have. And if you don't know what your leaders are thinking, that means you need to have these dialogues about visions, right? Um, and, and that's AI machine learning 101 because I cannot talk about AI machine learning without understanding the change that this organization will adapt to or not adapt to. Because if I can say that majority of the AI fails in development, designing, and deployment, they mainly fail after all the money has been already invested, right? Before they deploy, they no longer are able to deploy them because they find out through development that, hey, there's no way we can deploy this and maintain this and still keep it cost effective. Or right. it doesn't serve any of the purposes that we're building it for. So even if you go to the design and development phase, what you realize is that 83% of the AIs do not deploy. And 17% that does, majority of them does not perform to the level of return on data or return on investment, right? Um, so it, it's it's very important that even before you get started with AI machine learning, even before you get started with any change request or change management process, understand the fact that if you don't have your visions aligned, you're going to have multiple patches of work that's being done, right? Um, and, and, you know, you spoke of uh, DOD, Pentagon. Look, your end users are the soldiers in uniform. Mm -hmm. And your, your, your end users are in very sensitive positions if you don't deliver a, a mission-based uh, system or mission-based capability, right? If it's a patch of work that, you know, it just got done because nobody had any vision, the suffering end users are the ones in the uniform, you know, battling and, and war overseas, right? Um, or you can you can look at it from many perspectives. What about foreign agents, right? Um, um, uh, working overseas um, for CIA or FBI, you know, we have we have examples like Benghazi, right, where you have patches of misinformation everywhere. Uh, things didn't play out, so the end user suffers at the end. So we have to consider the end users very much and have the change management done with the vision, with the end users in mind. And thank you so much for capturing that because. More I talk about AI machine learning, I'm thinking AI machine learning is just a technology, really technology. It's not about uh, it's not about people yet. Once you make it about the people, it just becomes a really good process for people to push that process through and create that technology that everybody can benefit from. Right. So it's a PPT, people first, process next and technology. So if you think AI is a technology. Well, reverse that thought process, turn it into about the people, and then people will drive the process, which is the right process, not the patchy process that creates a technology all over the place, all over the map, without really impacting the end users in positive ways. So thank you again. That's that's amazing. I appreciate everything you have to say. Oh, good. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, just along those lines, as I said, you know, you go back to, I'm a, you know, I study history, right? And I've studied war for throughout history. And the reality is, you know, nations rise and fall for a variety of different reasons, but it ultimately comes down to the people. And you would need to make sure that you are empowering the people at all levels to execute your vision. It's not something that you are sitting there from your mountain on high directing people to do. They have to believe in it 
and they have to be able to use the resources. Technology has changed, right? There's people have always been behind it. You know, we had the wheel, and then we have uh, science, and we have the, you know the period of the Reformation and the Renaissance. There are all sorts of changes that have taken place, but ultimately, it comes down to good leadership or bad leadership. And good leaders throughout history are people that bond, especially military leaders, that bond with their soldiers, that understand what they're going through on the ground or their sailors, but what they're going through on the ground and can put themselves in the point of view of the person who has to do the execution. And their goal is to make sure that we focus on enabling them to execute in the most effective way possible because our freedom and our safety depends on it. Wow. Yeah, I would, I would, I wouldn't um, let go of this chance to make a bad joke here. Um, you know, when they asked a question about like what happened after French Revolution, well, we're still waiting to find out, right? <laughs> so that's that's history for me, right? Um, and, and look, I'm a student of conflict resolution. I I study history because of conflict resolution. So if I'm studying conflict, I just run into history. History is not the topic that I. Uh, I want to spend most of my time in, what I try to understand is that, look, if it's not conflict resolution, at least it's conflict management, right? So when we're talking about change management, that to me is like, oh, that's a conflict management, right? You don't, never can resolve a conflict, but as a conflict manager, let me come out and say it on public that there is no resolution for a conflict. It's always a management. You pick the conflict that you can manage and manage it in a way that the next conflict is much more manageable than the one that you have in hand, right? And that requires a vision. So AI, machine learning conflict, my goodness. Like we, I, I used to think in military that the next one is a cyber warfare, right? The one that based on cybersecurity and cyber defense, right? Um, over time, I've changed my mind on that. The, the, the next war is definitely about AI machine learning. It's, it's a war with data. It's not about you know defending and offending somebody with data I think data will be manipulated. Data will have full, data will be full of misinformation, and the data will cause the war, and data will drive the war. And data is the one that's going to extend the war to the period of not sustainable. And then data is the one that we'll have to come together and, and say, okay, how do we come to an armistice uh, and, and and move forward without this war? And I think, look. The scenarios are in my head, but I hope they never become real. <laughs> well, but the, the reality is, I mean, one of the things I've been thinking about a lot, my husband says that whenever he watches me using chat GPT and the types of questions and queries that I'm doing, he goes, you know, you're a lot like Mr. Spock. And I take a great deal of pride as a Trekkie in having that. But the thing is, we have to train people to be really, really intelligent. And, and we are not doing a good job of studying history studying the actions people took that led to historical events, and also understanding perspective. I'm older. I have greater perspective because I've gone through a variety of different conflicts. I've gone through a variety of different personal challenges in life. It changes the way you think. So when I am asking questions of the AI to try and understand something, I'm really driving it. I'm really saying, okay, but what if you do it this way? Well, what if you do it that way? Well, what happened here? Where was the gap? And I study a great deal of the original philosophers, you know, Socrates, Aristotle, Plato, Hobbes. We need to reintroduce thinking into our process. And that's what's going to enable us to really 
understand and utilize this technology to the greatest degree possible, but most of all, understanding historical context in how people react to situations. That's something the technology can't do. It can tell you it can, but the reality is, unless you've lived and breathed and gone through a challenge, there's no way that it will ever, it will never function from a physical pain standpoint. It will never have gone through the stress and the anxiety that makes us humans and actually enables us to tap into our understanding and learning and going, oh, that's what Ben Franklin was talking about. May have been a different point in time, but now I get it. Yeah, it's interesting you say that you've, you know, you talked to your husband about manipulating such uh, interfaces like chat GPT or uh, generative AIs. Is there anything that when you started looking at it, because I know I've done the same thing. And and what was your perspective of when, when you approached it? What, what were you looking for within the AIs that you were manipulating or, or using? Is there any specific things that you're saying, you know what, let's see, you know, uh, how did you approach that? Yeah, we did three three little Lisa Gable tests, and I've advanced my testing. So when I first got introduced to it, I was sitting there with a group of people in Europe before Davos, and none of us came from the same political perspective. So there were four people, very high-level people with very different political opinions. And we started querying the AI about education. And we asked what education would look like in the future, and it described to us a pod system and more parental control. And then we started asking it questions about, well, would this change or would that change? Um, but ultimately, where we started laughing is it had already told us that kids wouldn't be going into the classroom. We would have fewer teachers. And so we asked it what the purpose of the teachers union would be. And um, and each of us have different opinions about the role of teachers union. But we all burst out laughing when it said it had already told us kids were not going into the classroom, that they parents were having more control. We weren't going to have a lot of teachers. But according to the AI, the parents would be asking the teachers union for instruction on how to manage their children's education. I'm like, what union? They don't exist anymore. You just put them out of business. <laughs> so the whole table at that point yeah. started then asking it questions about the logic behind that. Um, but then I've advanced. I started asking it questions about situations that I've personally been in because I wanted to see what it had to say. Well, I've been at the table with some pretty famous people at some pretty important meetings, and it had an opinion. I go, well, that wasn't right because I was there, and I, I talked to so-and-so, insert name a famous person, and that's not what they said. And it's like, oh, I'm so sorry. So I first did a testing to see what I understood as the veracity of the content, but now what I use it for is I'm looking at writing another book. And so one thing about writing a book is you don't want to have the same name other people do. You want to come up with a way of addressing a topic that no one else has addressed yet. I don't have time to read 30 books. So I started asking it questions that who was, what books have been written on this topic? What books have been written on this topic? What books have been written on the third topic? Then I started querying the point that I was wondering if it would be a unique point. Do any of the books address this? Do, do they address it for an audience that is fits in this box? What aren't they saying? And, and I started pulling off different books and analysis that it had. And that's how I use it today. So initially, I started playing with it just to understand mm -hmm. like how, how whether I felt I could trust the information it was providing. But mm -hmm. today, I really dig into it to look through a wide variety of reference pieces 
and help me as I am trying to understand an argument and see if it makes sense, if it doesn't make sense, ways that people have positioned that argument and ways that you can then communicate a new direction to the average human being. And I find it very useful for that. You know, I I found myself doing something similar. Um, I wanted to see how cognitive the responses would be and how deep the rabbit hole would go, you know, and I ended up doing, I've covered it several times on our podcast, so I won't reiterate it. But at the end, I figured out, you know what? At the end, it's just an algorithm. And the logic is whatever the data sets are, that's what it's providing. And it and, and so um, appreciate the, the, someone else doing the same things, you know, that, that kind of, you know, it really <laughs> makes it real. And others really don't understand that because in some cases they get scared from the technology and they're like, what is the, the thing's alive? And so it's good to be able to see that other people are taking, you know, their own measurements and seeing, okay, what is this thing? And, and I see if you mean, what, what do you think? Uh, well, yeah, like, look, um, before the conversation started in recording, we, we talked about killing it off or pausing AI labs. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's a rabbit hole, right? Like if you start the conversation there, the conversation will most likely have to go through all the use cases, go through pros and cons and say, okay, which side are you on? Of course, I'm on the side of letting the AI go on, right? There's no pushing it back in the bag. The cat is out of the bag already. You can put the cat back in the bag. It's just not going to happen, right? That's that's my stance, right? Now, speaking of chat GPT um, and, and some of the things that it's providing, right? Um, the great analogy that one of the guests made, uh, which I love, uh, so I wanna, I'm going to steal it and borrow it and use it again, is that these AI that we have today, no matter how fascinating they are, they are just like Google search bar, right? Mm-hmm. They're simply providing you with an answer. And it's up to us to figure out as a human intelligence to say that artificial intelligence answer is just an answer that my human intelligence will have to improve upon. Now, when we talked about vision earlier, and that's where I'm talking about now, right? The vision is to have that cognitive intelligence, mm-hmm. the ability to say, not only do you give me an answer, but you also give me an option, but I don't have to go to the option. You can make those decisions for me. So A, B, C, right? Artificial intelligence, business intelligence, and cognitive intelligence, right? Um, this cognitive intelligence piece is where we envision AI to be today. It's nowhere near it. Actually, mm-hmm. there's so much work to be done yet because we haven't drawn those maps in between AI and BI at this point. More business picks up AI, more business intelligence we'll have, which is that business intelligence will provide, provide any business owner with an option and the consumer with more options. And through answers and options, we will get to a point of, okay, how do we draw these maps to make automated decision-making mm-hmm. rather than to say, um, it will start making decisions today for me without me testing it, right? Now, you will let it make a decision about like, okay, is one plus one two? Yes, it's two, right? But slowly work its confidence up to say like, now divide two million by 34, right? So, so, so you still get an answer right? But it's cognitive, as in you have some built-in confidence in this capability, just like you built an AI, you're building your CI to the level of decision-making. So one of the examples I've used previously, I'm going to rehash the same example, is that, you know, 
tell a system, not an AI, tell a system you want to go to Maldives. And that system goes into your system uh, computer and you know checks your calendar, tells your boss that you're going on vacation this time of the year, books that calendar out for you, and then buys your tickets for Maldives. <laughs> knows the price, knows your bank account information, knows that you live, you want to stay in a hotel that is far away from the airport. All those decisions made, and then it realizes you can only go to Maldives for a couple hours because your bank statement doesn't allow you to stay in Maldives for a couple of days, right? So, so, so th th those are the cognitive intelligence that we're working towards, right? Mm -hmm. So this artificial intelligence that we have right now, I know the, the scary statements, the scary uh, situations that are being brought up, it's, it's, it's heading that way. But this is not where we pause. This is not where we kill the AI because this AI is actually just providing you with lots of answers. These AIs are not scary. The AI users are scary, right? And that's the part that, and I think Lucky went into a little bit, is that if you take that answer and you take it too seriously, you will end up in a community or society that will say, like, everything as AI told me is what I believe in. Just like mm -hmm. social media posts, we started believing the social media posts over and over, mm -hmm. really without checking back with ourselves, yeah. like, do I really believe that last three years, everything social media has told me is actually factual? Or was it being fed to me because of my personal, personalized preferences um, um, for information? And I took this information and I just believed on things that I already believed in. Just mm -hmm. it reinforced it for me, right? So AI goes into the same rabbit hole. AI could take that personalized information and provide you with AI answers that are super based on your preferences, right? To make you happy, to make you feel like you're an engaged user Okay, I'm going to rabbit hole by myself here, but let's just pause. But I think everybody gets the point of this one. <laughs> I mean, no, it, it changed the education system. You know, we don't study the Socratic method anymore. Mm -hmm. We we don't study philosophy anymore. We don't study history and the and uh, and the different conversations that were going on in history. And a lot happened in the 1800s. And I would bet if we started querying people about all the different things that were happening all over the world from, you know, the, the end of the Revolutionary War, the Civil War and the Industrial Revolution, and then all of the communes that were being built and the different, you know, the rise of what would become socialism and Marxism. We, until people understand that throughout history, we've all been making these decisions and it still ultimately comes down to us being smart enough mm -hmm. to drive a process that enables us to do better work. That's really what it's about. And to do it in such a way that we are understanding the variables that could impact and the unintended consequences of decisions that we've made. If we can get rid of unintended consequences because we're smart enough to keep digging and digging and digging and digging until we think we've gone through everything, we're still not going to catch them all. But yeah, we'd be smarter people. We'd be doing our jobs better. And for that, we need tons of data. And, mm -hmm. and when you're talking about business intelligence and options, it's fed by tons of data. That actually makes sense. Just because you have tons of data doesn't mean those data can tell you a story. But if you're able to stitch those data together better, you have a better storytelling. If you have a better storytelling, you would come to a better condition at work, I think overnight, if that's not the uh, right, right terminology. Right? But the thing is, if you tell yourself that work environment that we are in today is the one that we have to sustain for the next 100 years, I'm sorry. That's the wrong way to think about better work. 
because better work will be so much more better than what it is today because we actually have better work conditions today than we did in 1800, right? And people's ability to work and earn income and then, you know, have a family and have that family be supported and raise kids and, you know, be part of society and pay taxes to the federal government. These, these situations, these, uh, these are all better now than it used to be, right? But will it stay the same? No, it will get better in so many different ways. And these data are telling us the story now, right? Um, you know, one of the fascinating things I've saw about AI uh, is that AI was able to recreate an element that we don't have in our element charts, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's able to think of like an element that we don't have in our charts yet. Okay, good. Now tell an AI to come up with a better work situation for all of the, say, the zip code or all of the city or all of the, all of the world, right? I think AI will come up with those kind of scenarios and it will provide a tools to get to that level, right? Because if you can imagine it, you can get to it. And I think as AI is you know, enabling us with those imaginations to allow us to tell better stories. And when we have imagination kicking into the gear, it's just a matter of like, hey, you heard the idea, now let's put it to work. Let's put it to action. Um, so a lot of the AI skepticism that I do here, I always you know, have to force myself back to not fall into the new cycle, right? That fall into the new cycle of, Yes, there is skepticism. Yes, there will be uh, some situation where the news cycle will forget about when, let's say, 24 hours or 24 days, right? It will just move on. It will just move on. Things are happening rapidly. Things are happening continuously. But this AI technology, the way it's evolving, how much products, how much information uh, that are being gathered about this AI technology, um, I think it's not about slowing down. It's about just paying attention, right? Have a better story in your head to tell yourself that, you know, the work environment that you're in right now, how do you improve it? Like right. If you're in the worst condition of work environment, you know, let, let an AI talk to you about that, right? Um, let the AI come up with designs and plans for you. And these AIs are only getting better and better based on human feedbacks, humans' questions. So if we are asking the AIs about, you know, none of not a utopian society, but rather a society that where people are able to say like, you know, I enjoy work now because I'm creative at my work. A lot of people that do enjoy their work is because they're creative at their work, right? Creative people, they enjoy their work. I think that's the truth, right? And 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 if we are able to have a, a workplace where we are all allowed to be creative, right? And AI is able to augment and assist us in that process, we should engage AI with that. Ask it AI type of questions that allows that AI to, you know, be trained on this sort of information, right? Um, because one of the ways that AI from Microsoft, uh, the, the Twitter bot that's called um, Tay, right? It went haywire within 24 hours, right? It, it went from a Twitter bot to like Hitler bots overnight. Because it learned so much hateful information, so many negative information. And people were being bad. <laughs> really bad. And it the users bad. were able to push feedbacks into it to make it bad. And it went sideways. Of course it did because it picked up the bias and then went with it, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, anybody could have seen that coming because these AIs are always feedback-based. They always have biases based on the data that has been provided. So if we're using these AIs to improve and imagine and do better for future, I think these AIs will just do that, right? Um, they're nothing but a system that's crunching data and whatever data it crunches, if it's garbage in, it'll have garbage out. If you, if you give it a good diet, it will have a good diet coming out. 
that's just the way it works, right? Um, so I guess I have no questions, but that was my comment. <laughs> so, what, so what do you think, Lisa? What do you think? Is it is it too late to let the to pull it back and 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 the drawstring or maybe slow down AI or what do you think? I mean, to be honest with you, I don't have the technological background yeah. to even be part of that conversation because I'm not quite sure how you would shut it down. And I don't understand enough about the technology. But what I will say is a very important fact that you brought up, which is it is incumbent upon I am part of what's called the Kroc Institute for um, Tech Diplomacy. And what we focus on. Um, is trusted technologies. And what Keith Kroc, who started the Institute at Purdue, has been doing is really getting the democratic countries to come together and ensure that our systems are based on technologies that we can trust, right? Technologies that we are creating, not necessarily, um, you know, something from the Chinese. And, um, and so, to that degree, being really smart about saying, where are we weak? Where do we need to build walls throughout all systems is one thing we know we can do, right? I mean, I, I think that doesn't take, that's not necessarily something that where we're all dependent upon some really smart developers like you guys who understand how the technology works. But the rest of us can focus on where are weaknesses and how do we as democracies not only uh, protect our systems, but secondarily is how do we influence the conversation? Because as you point out, it is biased. Mm -hmm. I, I found it to be biased in one particular political direction. That was the information it was given. As I said, I happened to be at some of the meetings, so I happened to know that things weren't said that it was saying were said. Um, so we as democracies also need to focus on getting information into the system that's going to counter what the Chinese put into the system because their philosophy and their way of, of, of looking at life and looking at humanity and how you do governance and how capitalism should work and national security is very different than our own. And so I do think those are places where people like me can play a role. Yeah, no, the very interesting points. You know, I, I think it was an interesting social experiment that Microsoft executed with, you know, the data. You know, it, it says a lot about who we are. We can take something innocent and just trash it, you know, mm -hmm. in a matter of 24 hours because that's who we are in a society. Sometimes we're ugly. And so that being said, there's going to be biases whenever we go, when we, we have data and then also when you develop your algorithm, there's going to be biases. There's going to be ghosts in the code that really drive things a certain way. And so I think personally that when it comes to stopping AI, you know, Elon, and we talked about it earlier, who are the people saying, hey, AI is, we need to slow down. We need to pull back on the reins a little bit and, and really think about what we're doing. You have to, you know, the why look at it, consider the source. Elon, he got, he knows a lot about not so much just artificial intelligence. He's developed a lot of things, but he has a lot of insider information when it comes to state-sponsored types of AIs. You know, he knows about what other countries are doing. And I, I it's so much you can do with AI right now. But I think the thing that I've seen more here recently is the fact that you can just control people through social media. And right. We, it's already we, happening. Exactly. So I mean that's one of the we that's one of those un 
said type of wars that we've already lost. We've already lost that one. And no one says that's a war or that was a battle or that was a situation. But that was a moment of truth where we missed out. We got beat on that one. And they used our own technologies like Facebook, you know, uh, other social media outlets that TikTok. And at the end, you know, we could see I'm not going to get into politics, but you could see how easily lines can be drawn and and people can it could be divisive. I'm not going to get into it can be divisive in a sense right. through simple suggestion. And that I it mean, can. And I, you know, I studied Soviet disinformation, disinformatia. Right. I mean, the, 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 do I think the Chinese also have I don't know what the Chinese word is for it. I did study Mandarin, but I've forgotten a lot of it um, for disinformation. But there is a psychological warfare going on. And we we are losing it. And therefore, for me personally, it's one place where we've got to figure out how we, again, get people back to questioning, challenging, asking questions and doing their research. I'm one of these people that when I watch a historical movie, I've always before the Internet, I would sit with my parents' encyclopedia on the floor and look up to see if they were telling me the truth. And then once, you know, once we had the Internet, I was like typing in and saying, OK, when did this war happen? Was this person still alive at that battle? Did they really marry so and so? Well, you need to, you know. Now with AI, now I'm just doing that, you know, I'm just constantly questioning, well, when when did this happen? When did that happen? We need to be smart. And people are just so willing to accept what they're told. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's that is the most worrisome thing we've got going on right now is we are not we are not developing people to be intellectually astute and do their research, gather their own facts, make their own decisions, use their life perspective to guide what's right and what's wrong. Mm-hmm. This conversation, can we have this for like, <laughs> we set up an eight hour course on this. Okay. We will live stream it on LinkedIn, you know? <laughs> but I, 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 I must say, you know, when I said conflict resolution, so conflict resolution doesn't necessarily lead me into history. Conflict resolution leads me right into the supply chain because that's what I work with. I work with data, for supply chain, enterprise resource planning, and manufacturing intelligence. So that's that's the world that I live and breathe in. And this podcast is my way of coming to the surface and breathing the air that's fresher. Because <laughs> you know when you when you're in knee deep in the data, it, it's no fun. There's no people there interacting with each other very happily. It's <laughs> it, it's a it's a, <laughs> it's a dungeon. <laughs> no, no, it's my in the week of you know <laughs> data. But I must say when I study conflict resolution, you know, one of the things that leads into the, the supply chain planning, this whole logistics, all mm-hmm. the resources that have to move about, all the you know, it, 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 you can call food a food, but you can also call it a resource, right? If you don't have access to the food, food becomes a resource too. Right? Right. If you don't have access to gas, if you don't have access to the things that will generate powers for you, right? Those are all resources. So the logistics, the supply chain here, you know, I'm I'm a big fan of understanding how things have happened. Lisa, I love the fact that you look them up as you understand, you know, the things that are happening and you put dots together. That's that's conflict resolution one on one. It's like who are the actors? Who are the players here? Right. Um yeah. I think it was important for me to understand that the fact that with the conflict resolutions that we have in place today, so sorry, the conflicts that we haven't uh, ha- we we are having today in 2023 
if we look at back in time and say like you know what's the chain of of this all the logistics here like how did this conflict come to be and where are the conflicts going right so one of the quick example i can give you is that you know the brits ran out of tin in england and tin import and export business dried out and that's how they realized well hold on we have to take a ship and go all around the world and figure out how we're going to have a commerce inside of our country in a little island nation that is surrounded by the french and normans right um or or, or uh, hostile countries like back in those days was Spain and 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 French, right? Um, so how do we create a commerce for ourselves so that way our logistics are taken care of as in we are able to do import and export, right? So tin used to be their big export. Now the tin has dried down. Um, now they're looking to, you know, have another export or import, which is that tea. So where do you go for tea? You go all around the world and find the right place for tea, which is India, right? So your commerce always have some logistics behind it, just like history has logistics behind it. Now, I'm thinking to myself, like, what happens 300 years from now, <laughs> right? Like, what do they look at us like with supply chain? Well, what is our supply chain? I think it's data. I can with confidence say it's data. The, the, the value of data will increase to a point that is actually physical. You know, your ability to guard those data and utilize those data without somebody able to poison or sabotage those data will become part of our history, as in we've, we've went through that phase. We went to the phase of gathering data and securing those data and utilizing those data correctly and properly. And we just, we're just getting started with that. So th the conversation here is just a starter, but we will have to start shifting our mindsets about how we see data and what it is that we, would, we, we do with those data and how we are able to improve our lives rather than to say like, you know, I just went around the world, collected data, but I destroyed myself while I'm doing it. Right. right? Um, I just want to put that out there because that historical perspective is like perfect. You know, the Italian way is like perfect, right? Um, because it's super important that we look back in history and look back, look forward in time and yeah. see what are the connections? Where are we connecting the dots now? And I think to me, it's going from those physical resources into those physical resources of data, right? How do we improve data collection? How do we better do data management? How do we um, secure those data and how do you employ and deploy those data right but you still need the data to build stuff right so you're still going to need whatever the uh, minerals or resources are energy sources that are required the question is who's going to own them because your ability to implement the data is only restricted and restrained by your access to the resources you need from that supply chain mm -hmm. yeah so at this moment, I'd like to take a step back. We've covered a lot about data, and now we're going to get to the less, maybe more interesting part of our podcast. Okay, so data is one of my favorite, favorite characters in Star Trek. Okay, so start right, generation one. I know you said Spock, right? <laughs> right. Absolutely. Through you know next generation. So I'm a. I, I love. Spock, don't get me wrong, he's a great guy, but Data, he's just, he, I have, I resemble. <laughs> I noticed that. It was really that look. I was wondering when you got on the screen. <laughs> I got a time left, no problem. <laughs> I'm shiny. Um, uh, but at the end, you know, he, what, what, who are you? Where do you fit within Star Trek? 
Well, I mean, the thing is, I was part of the original Star Trek children, right? You know, it, it came up during my childhood and it was a core part of my childhood. So we're still rather dedicated to the original crew, whether it's Scotty. We love Scotty. Um, uh, you know, the, the internet, what is it? The, uh, inter- global communicator, international communicator. Won't that be nice when we have that? Like, won't it be awesome? I've done so much diplomatic work. It'd be really nice to just talk and not, I have to sit and wait for this person to say whatever I was just saying. And then I'm wondering if they're telling me the truth about what the response is. Uh, so I still do, you know, I even personally like the iterations where they've gone back to the sort of prequel version. So we are uh, we are yeah. still you know very we we do like the original crew in this household. Yeah, <laughs> I, I must say I must say we never intentionally bring in guests that are truckies. It just <laughs> happens to be all of our guests are truckies. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, my husband is Star Wars. My husband was the Star Wars. He remembers okay. that when he was at boarding school, he went to see Star Wars like 16 times oh. and, and knows more about it than you could possibly ever want. And so Mandalorian is something we have to watch in our household. <laughs> and, and, and and look, I think the last guest brought up a good point, right? It was uh, Jamie, who's a knowledge management guru, right? Um, she brought up the fact that we are watching Star Trek in English. And all the communications are happening in English. But what they are not describing is the fact that they're communicating through a device that's translating it automatically for them in real time. Right. Okay, look. I thought I was a Trekkie until I saw all the other Trekkies. You got me on that, yeah. Yeah, you you got some information that I didn't know. And I love learning those new little nuances to say, like, oh, my goodness. So they're talking all these universal languages, and they're using a system like an AI to translate that. So. The most recent AI, which, look, I, I, I don't mean to make myself think like, you know, I watch TV shows and I just think like, oh, my goodness, like that's real, right? I, but I cannot help. The Star Trek was literally talking about a bag of data that's traveling from system to system, and that's what they have to track down. And if they don't track it down, if it falls in the wrong hand, the humanity, the universe as we know it, will be totally, utterly destroyed or changed for bad reasons, Right. So, so when I was discussing history and I was talking about the supply chain planning and your logistics will be data, that's literally Star Trek's latest season, right? It talks about the fact that they're chasing after, a, I called it a bag of data, but they have their own terminology. But the point is, anybody who's listening, who, who's not looking at Star Trek, like they're literally talking about a data that does not require hardware to contain itself, right? Any hardware you put that data into, that data will do amazing things, right? It will work amazingly because it's full of human history or universal history, right? It has all sorts of knowledge that is built into a software. And that software is able to run in any hardware wherever you uh, deploy it to. So to keep it secret and guarded was the Star Trek's mission, right? Um, and, and there was some future traveling. There's some space traveling. Whew, boy, let's not get into that exciting episodes, uh, seasons of Star Trek. But I think these, these, these imaginations that we have, right, they're all based on the logistics that we have today and how this logistics will evolve into the future, right? Um, I, I got to mention this part too, the mycelium theory for Star Trek to travel through space. Um, <laughs> the mycelium theory. Oh, okay, stop. That, that was mind-blowing. 
Hey, there's mushrooms out there. They're not affected by the vacuum of space. So who knows how that works? You know, mushroom in its own kingdom, it's an amazing, amazing topic. But look, amount of things that we don't know today, but we will find out through AI machine learning. That alone, that alone. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to bring up MS365 Copilot. I'm not talking about ChatGPT. I'm not talking about any of these AIs today that we have. They're exciting. But what excites me the most is what it is that we will invent using AI machine learning over and over, not incrementally, but super exponentially. As in, we, we would say that would be about 50 years out that we can invent that because the hardware that we have today, we're not capable of it. But I think using AI machine learning, AI machine learning will start spitting out alternative ways of developing the same tools and uh, activities or, or product. I, I think it, it will be leaps and bounds when it comes to AI machine learning's ability to research and develop those technologies for us. And we will be able to develop them in really, really fast uh, terms because um, we're, we obviously already have Space Force. <laughs> That's not going anywhere. So now what do we do with the Space Force that we're already spending half of Air Force's budget on, right? We have to do space traveling. We have to do Star Trek stuff. We have to build <laughs> universities that does nothing but Star Treks, right? Um, so yeah, like AI machine learning, we cannot develop things out in the space without AI machine learning. We need that AI machine learning in the ground, conceptualize it, simulate it, and that simulation will become actual um, 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 manufactured product in the space. Um, and I want to just throw this hint in there real quick. We are already manufacturing things in the space. So to build a manufacturing shop floor in space, um, let me let me say it out like this. In 15 years, definitely in 15 years, we'll have a manufacturing shop floor in the space to manufacture things that we have simulated in the, uh, in the ground to manufacture it out in the space. Because in, in the ground, with the gravity, we will not be able to manufacture many of the things that will be space-based. And the reality is, one reason it's hard to stop this is I lived in Silicon Valley for 15 years. And every person I knew who lived there, all they wanted to do is create the world that we see in the movies. That's what they want. They name every product warp. I had to try to explain to people that, you know, you can't trademark that because everybody else's product is named warp. You're not the only person who watched Star Trek. Um, and every engineer is convinced that he he was, and it's normally a he. Uh, but, but the reality is, you know, you just went through a, a level of excitement about the realm of possibility. And I've been in biopharma. I've been um, on, you know, the ag gene editing conversations. I've been in the conversations with technologists. The hardest issue with shutting all this down is that people are greatly desirous of innovation. That's what we mm -hmm. do. It makes us happy. We wake up in the morning wanting to do something better, faster, cheaper, more effective, more impactful for the human being. It's what drives us. It's why I loved working in the Valley. It's why I love going to Austin. How do you stop that? If you say, well, you can't use the technology that, that you all came up with, we're still going to come up with something. We always do. Absolutely correct. You know, it, you can't, again, you can't put, you can't, once you let the cat out of the bag, we've already said that once before, but once it's been let out, you, you really, there's no way of reining this one back in. And so um, AI, again, is going to, it's going to satisfy the creatives. It's going to satisfy state governments. It's going to be scary 
It's going to be all those things, but that's what we're here for. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming to. Ay, 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 ay. <laughs> ay, 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 ay. I can't do it. Sorry. <laughs> hey, you're done. I know. This was, this was a good one. Welcome. Thank you again. Great. Thanks so much. Nice to talk to you guys. Thank you so much, Lisa.